We're going to be in John chapter 3. John chapter 3. I've entitled this message, Are You a Secret Follower? Are You a Secret Follower? For the past month now, we have been uh, talking about uh, discipleship and and being disciples of, of Jesus Christ, followers of Jesus Christ. And so uh, our theme, uh, becoming disciples, making disciples, growing in grace and knowledge. And of course, that is from Matthew uh, chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, where Christ said, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And one of the things that we talked about uh, is this. God's primary plan for the church is for disciples of Jesus to develop other men and women into disciples. All right, now notice there again, God's primary plan for the church. All right, sometimes we think that the, it's the primary plan of the pastor or the leadership or the Sunday school teacher or the deacons, uh, but really it is the desire of the church as a whole uh, to be encouraging one another in mutual growth. So uh, that could be in a, a, a senior saint coming alongside uh, someone that's new in the Lord and, and just encouraging them. And uh, telling them some some things that have happened in their life uh, where the Lord has shown himself faithful and encouraging them. Or it could be uh, maybe a parent uh, just encouraging a child and helping them to trust uh, in the Lord. And so that idea of discipleship, God's primary plan for the church is for disciples of Jesus to develop other men and women into disciples. And so as we uh, begin to explore this topic, we first looked at the priority or proper priorities, and we said we love God before all else. And so we saw that at, uh, during the, uh, the wedding that Jesus was at, where he turned the water into wine. So if you remember, his, his mother pressured him a little bit to go ahead and, and do that miracle and uh, he said, my time is not yet. He did it in a hidden fashion uh, because his time to reveal himself was not yet. And that timeline was all based upon his father. And so he was obedient to his father. He loved his father first and foremost. And then last time we were together, uh, we talked about a proper worship. All right. God should be the center of our worship. All right. Not men, not money, not buildings, and not programs, okay? Sometimes in America, American churches, we get things backwards, and we begin to think about worship is all about us. It's about the programs we enjoy. It's about the music we enjoy. It's about the friends we enjoy, and we begin to think about Worship as I'm in the center and the church does what I do or does what I want, but really that's not how worship should be. Uh, really, the worship should be God is the center and we rotate around God, always asking Him, What brings you honor and glory? And so it's not about the buildings, though, to have a nice building is nice. It's not about the money or the men, though, those things are nice. It's not about the programs. Those things are nice. Truly 
A true worship comes from a heart of love for God. So today we're going to be looking at this idea of a secret follower and asking the question, are you a secret follower? All right, so we're going to start here in John chapter 3 when the Bible says this. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Let's stop there. We'll ask the Lord's blessing upon our time. Lord, we do thank you for another opportunity to start off the week uh, in your word and in worship to you. And so, Lord, we have sung um, um, in worship to you. We have given in worship to you. And now we have an opportunity to open up your word and worship to you. And so, Lord, we do pray that you would be magnified and glorified as we gather around your word today. As we think about this idea of being followers of of Jesus Christ, uh, disciples of Jesus Christ, uh, help us to be um, uh, public uh, disciples of Jesus Christ. Help us to not only uh, have our faith in the inside, but to be able to allow that light to shine out. May people truly see Christ in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. My first question uh, this morning, and a good question that we should start with, is who was Nicodemus? Who was Nicodemus? Now, Nicodemus uh, only comes up in the Gospel of John. And in the Gospel of John, he comes up here in chapter 3. He comes up a little bit later on. We'll look at that account. And then he, he comes up after Jesus' death. And we'll also look at uh, that account today as we close. But who was Nicodemus? Well, again, notice there in verse 1, now was the, there was a man of the Pharisees. All right, So he was, a, he was a Pharisee. And so a Pharisee was someone that lived by rules. Now, Pharisees... Um, originally, uh, they were trying to really honor God by living up to some rules, uh, but then what ended up happening is they began to add a whole bunch of man's rules uh, to the rules, and it ended up not so much being about the Lord as much as it meant pleasing other people around them. And so sometimes the Pharisees would get together and they would debate what you could and could not do, and they would base it upon what other Pharisees said you could and could not do. And so they had gotten away from the word of God and really honoring the Lord, and they began to really look at each other and wanted to be honored before others. And so that is the Pharisees. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, and then there's a little bit more information given of uh, to us about him, and that is the fact that he is a ruler of the Jews. Now, what does that mean, that he was a ruler of the Jews? That means that he was a member of the Sanhedrin. All right, here's a little picture of the Sanhedrin. Uh, There was 
35 and 35, there was 70 members, 70 men that were part of that council. And so when you think of all of of the Jews and you think about all of the Pharisees, the fact that this guy would have been part of this group uh, meant that he was was pretty high up in in the Pharisee line. And so he had lived his life um, before God in, in the right way and before others in the right way, and and he had some leadership amongst the Jews. He was part of the Sanhedrin leadership. He was part of that council there. And so this is not just a a regular regular sinner that's coming to see uh, Jesus. Uh, This is a man who has really made a name for himself. Now, I should say that not all Pharisees were bad guys. All right. When we read through the Gospels and and Christ had some very strong words uh, to say about the Pharisees, but not all the Pharisees uh, were bad guys. Some of them really did want to honor the Lord. And I believe that Nicodemus was one of those guys. I believe the reason why he is coming to Jesus is because he does truly want to know. He's been searching his whole life. He's been studying his whole life. He has been living by a list his whole life, and he truly does want to know. I understand, Rabbi, you are from God, for no one could do these miracles, these signs that you do. And so he's really wondering, you are different than everybody else, and I want to know why. And so he is really searching. I believe that Nicodemus is a man who truly does want to honor the Lord, not like some of the other Pharisees uh, that we think about uh, in the Gospels. I think Nicodemus is a little bit different. Notice there in verse 2, Nicodemus poses a question. He says this, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, first of all, notice the time in which uh, he comes. He comes by night. Now, some people say, well, uh, the reason why he came by night is because he didn't want anybody to know. And that's very possible, all right? Other people say the reason why he came by night was because he wanted to have a one-on-one conversation. And Jesus was always around other people. People uh, were, were always kind of following him. And so this this Nicodemus, he wanted some alone time with Jesus. He really wanted to ask some questions, so he came at night. And so maybe uh, he was very sincere, or maybe he was coming uh, as kind of like, a, not a spy, but of the cover of night, so that his other um, Sanhedrin friends or his other um, uh, Pharisee friends would not look down on him. But anyways, he came. But we see one word that he uses in rabbi, which really means that he looks at Jesus as more than just this rope guy that's, that's doing things. He really looks at Jesus as, as a teacher. Rabbi would have been an honoring way to uh, talk about uh, Christ. And so he says, rabbi, and then there's something very interesting that he says right after that. And notice what he says. He says, we know that you are a teacher come from God. We know. So that's a a plural way. He doesn't say, I know. He's actually coming to Jesus on behalf of himself and others. In a way, he is saying this, I believe, and there's others that believe also. So that's really interesting. He was kind of a spokesperson 
for some other people that did not want to come to Jesus by night, but did have some questions about who Jesus was. Now, some people look at this and they say, well, uh, maybe Nicodemus was, was sent by the, the rest of the Pharisees. So maybe there's a group and they say, go and go in and ask him some questions. But the words that he uses are, are really honoring to the Lord. So I don't think he's doing it out of, out of deceit um, or out of like, a, like a, he's trying to trick Jesus up. And even the reply that Jesus gives to him is not one that he gives to some of the other uh, Pharisees uh, that he talks to. And so he, he's kind of, ki- he's kind uh, to Nicodemus. He does have some strong words for him, uh, but he is more or less kind and does share uh, that good news uh, with him. So Nicodemus is not there just for himself. Uh, he is also there for others. Me and others know that you're a teacher come from God. And why? Because of the signs. Now, what, what are the signs? We're talking about the miracles. Uh, they have heard about the miracles. They have seen the miracles. They realize that Jesus is special, all right? So the things that Jesus are do, is doing, uh, only God can be behind those things. And so they're looking at Jesus as, this is very well the man who has come from God. And that really brings us to kind of the first idea here, which is this. Nicodemus came to Jesus, and Jesus took time to listen to Nicodemus. And really, disciples listen to each other. Disciples listen to each other. They listen to others. And so notice Jesus' response. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus answers the real question. All right, Jesus knows Nicodemus's mind. He knows his heart. He poses a question, but Jesus already knows why he's asking the question. And the real question is this. We have realized, and, and again, Nicodemus uses the plural we, it is me and others, realize that you have come from God. And really my question is, and the question that I have for others is, how do we get to God? So you have come down from God. We're wondering, what is the way? How do we get to God? That's the question that is behind Nicodemus's mind. And so Jesus Christ, he already knows. And why? Because Jesus Christ knew the thoughts and minds of people around him. Now, we as Christians, we don't. All right. I cannot walk uh, across campus here at at Wilton Christian School during a, a regular school day and come across a teenager and go, I know what that teenager is struggling with. Now, I could take some guesses. But I can't know for sure. The same thing is, as I look around and I look into your eyeballs today, I don't know what you guys are struggling with. Now, if I was Jesus, I could know your heart and your thoughts, and, and I would know exactly what you were struggling with. But I don't know personally because I'm not God. I'm not Christ. That means that disciples have to learn how to listen to one another. We need to learn to listen and to ask questions. The only way that we can encourage other people in the Lord is if we have conversations 
where we're actually listening to one another. Because if we are just kind of talking about, well, the, the weather is nice today, and it is nice today, much better than last week, right? I think the lights went off last week, and I heard you guys just kept singing and didn't even miss a beat, and, and Hannah just kept playing on the piano, and, and uh, my wife said it was pretty amazing. So uh, you guys were pretty amazing last week. So the weather is nice today. But really, some of our conversations, if we're thinking about discipleship, should go deeper than the weather, all right? We should really listen to each other and desire to encourage one another. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ is doing. He is listening. He is desiring to answer the question that Nicodemus has. And so that question is being born again. And so we see that in verse four, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into a mother's womb and be born. Now, that Greek, uh, in the Greek, that phrase has a double meaning. It could either mean a place or a time. Now we see why Nicodemus um, has the question that he has. He is thinking not of a time, but instead as a place. And so that's why he asked this question. How can a man be born again when he is old? How can he enter a second time into his mother's womb, he's thinking a place. But Jesus Christ is not talking about a place. He's talking about a, a time, a time in our life where we become alive in God's spirit. And so we are born again, not in a place, but in a spiritual birth. And so Nicodemus is thinking about a place. Jesus is instead thinking about a time. And so what Jesus is doing is challenging this man's way of thinking, all right? He's challenging this man's way of thinking. He has now posed the question that Nicodemus is mulling over in his mind, all right? He has taken the conversation, and now he has, he has turned it in such a way that this man is really starting to think, what is Christ talking about? My real question is, how do I get to God? And his answer is that I must be born again I have no idea what he means. What could he possibly mean? Does he really mean that I should be have a second birth? And, and if that's the case, how does all of that happen? And so Jesus Christ has challenged him. He has posed the question to really allow this man to begin to process this idea of a second birth or eternal life. And so this leads us to the next point, all right? Disciples share the gospel. If one of the goals of the church is for disciples of Jesus to develop other men and women into disciples, then we must be ready to share the gospel. Are we ready to share our faith? And so we should have a plan uh, to share the gospel. If someone should ask, how can I be born again? How can I be born again and so there are, different, uh, there are different methods of witnessing. We covered a lot of those methods last year. But I encourage you to be prepared. Uh, some people, and I think I shared this with you uh, last year at this time, uh, some people, what they do is they take their Bible and they will write of the gospel right in the front of their Bible. 
so that if they have an opportunity uh, to talk with someone, they are prepared. They flip to the front. They have their, their, their points that they're going to go to. They flip in the Bible, and, and that's how they do it. I've opened up many of Christians' Bibles, and that's what is on this blank page uh, in their Bible. So that's a great way. Another way is that you just write it right in, um, right in that empty space of your Bible. And so you have point number one. You know where you're going to start. You flip there, all right? Maybe it's like Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And, and you, you turn your Bible there, and then right there in the white, you have next point, Romans such and such. And so you, you talk with that first verse, and then you look over to your side, and you go, okay, second point. And you flip over to your second point, and you go to your next point, and then you do it, and then you have right there on the next point, Where's point number three? All right, or you just pick up a gospel track. All right, a good gospel track. Can you share the gospel uh, through a gospel track? I have some gospel tracks in my car for just an opportunity like that. And we have gospel tracks right out in this hallway here. If, if you don't have a gospel track in your car, just take one, put it in your car just in case because you never know who you might run into and who needs the gospel. Peter said this, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. So someone said, someone asked you the question, why do you believe God will welcome you into heaven? What would you say? How can you have such faith that God will welcome you into heaven? What, what would your answer be to a question like that? Because just like Nicodemus, there are some people that truly are searching and they are looking for an answer. And we have the answer. And that answer is Jesus Christ. And so uh, may, we be a, may we be ready to share the gospel. And, and uh, Jesus is ready he plants some ideas in Nicodemus's mind. Notice there in verse five, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So again, uh, what Jesus is talking about is, is not a place, all right? Nicodemus was thinking a place. How can I go back into my mother's womb? A place. But Jesus Christ says it's not a place, it's a time. And so he gives us really um, a couple, or Jesus connects salvation to a couple of key ideas. Number one, that first key idea is this. Born of water. Born of water, that is cleansing from sin. And number two, and the Spirit. All right, so he breaks it up into kind of a two-point here. Cleansing from sin and spiritual life or transformation, which comes through God's spirit. So that's the idea of being born again. And of course, the gospel is this. Very easily, the gospel is this. Jesus Christ came down from, from heaven, and he lived under the law in our place. In our place. And, and here, this is me. I have sinned against God. All right, if, if we just start like listing off the Ten Commandments, I fall short of God's glory, okay? So I'm over here, I am separated from God, but Jesus Christ, he comes and he lives under the law in my place. 
great. There's a second thing that he does. He dies in my place, and he comes back to life. So this is what ends up happening during salvation. So I am not righteous or perfect. I fail over and over again because I am a sinner. But when I place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, there's an exchange that happens. Jesus' perfect life is placed upon me, and my sinful life is placed upon him. So now there is cleansing that has happened, and now I am right with the Lord. And the Bible says that when I place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into my life. And so I have been cleansed through the cross. I have been given new spiritual life through the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus, when he's talking about this, this new birth, this being born again, he's talking about a birth that comes from above. And so he gives Nicodemus the answer to what he is looking for. Now this is interesting Because the Pharisees prided themselves on the life that they had lived. They prided themselves on the knowledge that they had taken in, the the hours of studying the word of God. And this is what Jesus tells Nicodemus. You need to hit the restart button on all of that. You've been going down this way, and you have been living under all of these things. But what you really need is you need your sin forgiven and you need new life in the Spirit. You need to be born again. Now, Nicodemus maybe did not understand all of what was happening here. And Jesus continues here in verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That is literally of the body is the flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So, there's a physical life and a spiritual life. It's one thing to be born in a, spirit, in a physical life, but you need a second birth that is a spiritual life. And then he says this in verse 7, Do not marvel that I say this to you. You must, you must be born again. Now, there's something here that you cannot see, and that, to be honest, I did not... I I probably have forgotten because I know I've studied this before, but I I had forgotten until I was studying it this past week. But do not marvel at what I say to you. This you is in the singular. He is talking directly to Nicodemus. He says, don't marvel about what I say to you. But remember, Nicodemus came on behalf of others. He said, we believe. And so this you is actually in the plural. What he means is Christ says, you all. And so it's no longer just Nicodemus. Jesus is pointing out, yes, you Nicodemus, but you all must be born again. So that is our southern phrase for today, you all, all right? You all need to be born again. And so Jesus Christ is saying, You know what is for you, Nicodemus, and it is for those who sent you. You all need to be born again. And it wasn't just Nicodemus. It's us as well. 
And so if you have never been born again, if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that is the first step of becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. It is being born again, putting your faith and trust in Christ where your sin is forgiven and receiving that reconciliation, being alive in the spirit. And so that second birth. And so you all must be born again. So Nicodemus needs a new birth, but so do we. This can give us an opportunity um, as we think about uh, sharing the gospel that really we can take opportunities uh, within uh, the community to be able to share uh, that good news. Uh, Prior to becoming the senior pastor here at Wilton Bible Church, um, I worked in I worked in town. I worked alongside, uh, not here in town, but uh, in our in my community, and uh, I worked alongside um, unbelievers all the time. And I did take uh, opportunities as I was working alongside others just to talk about talk about things. And, and people knew uh, that I was a Christian. I wasn't a secret Christian. Uh, people knew that I was a Christian. And so I would have open conversations with people. And I remember one conversation, um, uh, somebody said, well, Christianity is just like every other religion. And I said, no, actually, Christianity is not like any other uh, religion. Christianity is actually different than all other religions. And they kind of they 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 kind of listened and, and kind of chewed on that idea for a second, and then they said, "Well, what do you mean by that?" And I said, "Well, religion is all about what we do for God, but Christianity is all about what God has done for us." And then they mulled that over a little while, and of course we're we're working, so we're doing our jobs. And then they came back and they said, yeah, you're right. Christianity is different than all other religions. All other religions are about what I do for God, but Christianity is about what God has done for me. And what was that? Well, that's Jesus Christ. And so we can take opportunities just to plant little questions in people's minds that allow them to kind of think through and process and what could, what could he mean by this? And then take those opportunities uh, to share the gospel. Again, did I open up my Bible at the workplace as I was working and discuss all of the points of, of how to become a Christian? No, I didn't. Did I, did, I, did I always have a track ready in my pocket and I pulled it out while I was at work? No, I didn't. I just planted little ideas. And actually that family ended up coming and visiting our church because they were kind of intrigued by some of the things that we would uh, talk about. And so take those opportunities uh, to share. Now when it comes to disciples, uh, sometimes we think that disciple making must be kind of like in a classroom somewhere or behind a pulpit or maybe behind a desk, but really listening could really be anywhere. Matter of fact, some of the best conversations uh, that I have had is not behind a desk, but actually behind a, a steering wheel in a car and uh, having someone in, in the, my passenger seat and just talking uh, with someone about life and had really great conversations. Matter of fact, one, one pastor said he never goes alone in the car. He always takes someone with him 
because he realizes what an opportunity it, it is uh, to, to do some discipleship. And so if you're a parent here, all right, take one of your children. Hey, hey, I, I need to run to the store. Hey, let's go get some Starbucks. Just take them with you um, or Chick-fil-A and uh, take them with you and uh, go in and have a conversation with them and encourage them. And uh, some of those conversations just behind a will of a car can be really encouraging uh, to others, all right? And so Christ says, do not marvel at this. You all must be born again. All right, let's go over to the third point here. Disciples rely on the Spirit. Disciples rely on the Spirit. And this gets us to verse 8. It says this, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. I was talking to a Christian one time, and he was talking with an unbeliever about the gospel. And he said, well, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that the Spirit is like a wind. I mean, we can see where it goes and, and all of that, but, but, uh, or we can see where, it, where it's been, but we can't see really where it's going. And uh, the guy kind of like, mold over on that. And, and at the time, I thought to myself, well, that's kind of an interesting verse to share with someone that is an unbeliever. But that really opened up a lot of questions. That guy had a lot of questions after that. And so uh, Christ does the same thing. He gives an illustration that draws a lot of questions to the mind of Nicodemus. Now he's wondering to himself, what is all of this about? And so one way to help others is to ask God to help me be sensitive to the Spirit's leading. One thing that I learned uh, early on um, in my uh, leadership skills, matter of fact, I learned it when I was a, a camp counselor. And so uh, one of those summers uh, when I was in college, uh, I remember the way that we were taught as, as, as uh, camp counselors, we said, you know what, there is no way, because we're not God, there's no way that we can know what's happening in the minds and the hearts of individuals. And so what we must do as Christian counselors is we must rely on God's spirit. That means that as we go into a counseling opportunity, that we must stop, we must ask God to help us to be sensitive to his spirit's leading as we do counseling. And I thought, as over the years, and that's been many years back now, I thought, that's, that is really good advice. Because I may never know what people are going through. But God does know what people are going through. So my prayer request, if I really do want to help others, and if you really want to help others as well, our prayer request should be this. Lord, help me to be sensitive to your leading, so that as conversations come up, that you would help me to open up those conversations to spiritual things, that we may not know on the surface why things are happening, but God does, and God can direct those conversations if we are willing to listen to the leading of his spirit. And so uh, be sensitive to the Lord's leading as we disciple one another. Really, as we think about making disciples, at the end of the day, God uses men and women just like us to make disciples, but God is the one who truly makes the disciples, all right? 
we can share the gospel. And we could be really good at sharing the gospel, but new life only comes through God's Spirit. And new life only comes through God. And so no matter how good we might be at evangelism, truly the only one that does the saving is the Lord. That means that we always must rely on him. And so uh, we may have uh, some things that we, some ways that we share the gospel with people, and that's great. Uh, But always remember to rely on the Lord. That is what we must do. We must rely on on the Lord. All right, let's go ahead and look at verse 9 there. He says this, Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? All right, so Nicodemus, remember, he is a Pharisee, and, and he is part of Sanhedrin. This man has followed lists his whole life. When he asks this question of how can I be born again, what he is really looking for is another list. He's thinking to himself, These people have added lists, and these people have added lists, and then I have the list from the Bible. And so what is one more list? Jesus, you just tell me. I want to know how to get to God. You just give me a list so that I can follow. But that's not how Jesus responds. Instead, Jesus says, we must rely on the Spirit. And that leads to that next question that Nicodemus has. How can these things be? And then we see this in verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now what uh, Jesus is doing here is he is using some information that Nicodemus is already aware of. Nicodemus knows the story. He maybe even memorized the story in Numbers 21. So what happens in Numbers 21? Go ahead and flip in your Bible uh, back to Numbers 21. There are some remarkable things that happen here with Israel and and how Israel responds to, uh, to Yahweh, the God of Israel, and then how God responds to Israel, and then Israel's response to that. All right, and so I'll flip over to uh, Numbers 21. Numbers 21. We're going to start in verse 4. Numbers 21, starting in verse 4. All right, we're going to start halfway through that. And notice it said the Word of God says this in Numbers 21, halfway through verse 4. It says, The people became impatient on the way, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water. And then notice what they say. We loathe the worthless food. All right. So God has freed them from Egypt. God has given them water. God has given them food. And what do they do? They complain about God's blessings. They complain about Moses. They complain about God. They complain about God's blessings. They are not uh, worshiping the Lord. Who are they worshiping at this time? Self. They're thinking it's all about me. You brought us out of Egypt to die. And, And we have no food and we have no water. And even this food that you have provided is worthless food. 
So they're not thankful for what the Lord has done. And so we see what the, how the Lord replies to their grumbling and their attitude in verse 6. And then the Lord sent fiery serpents amongst the people. And they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned. We have spoken against the Lord and against you. They identified their two sins here. Against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And so Moses prayed for the people. Remember what was Moses's kind of responsibility as a leader of Israel? He was the mediator. He was a man mediator between Israel and God. And so Israel said early on, Moses, you talk to God. We don't want to talk to God. God scares us. You go talk to him, and then you come back, and you just tell him, you just tell us uh, what you said. And so Moses was the go-between. He was a mediator between Israel and God, and Israel had sinned against Moses, their mediator, and before God, and so God was judging them. The people recognized, notice, they recognized they had sinned. We have sinned is their response. So Moses does go to them. And the Lord said to Moses, take us a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So what does the Lord do? The Lord gives them mercy. All right. So what they do is they complain against God and against Moses. God hears their complaint. And so he rebukes them by sending fiery serpents. They realize they're now being chastened by, the, by God. And so they, they ask for really God's mercy. Moses goes back and pleads with God. And God does, in fact, give mercy. He tells Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. All right? Remember, when they got bit... They were dying. If they just looked at this, this fiery serpent on a pole, they would live. And what happens? Well, in verse 9, look at verse 9. So Moses made a bronze serpent, set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Now, why, of all of the illustrations that Jesus could have used from the Old Testament, why did Jesus use this illustration? Well, first of all, because we know that Jesus Christ would literally be put on a cross. He'd be lifted up and hung on the cross. And Nicodemus didn't quite understand exactly what was going on. But I imagine as Jesus hung on the cross, some of the things that Jesus said here came back to mind. Wait, he did say that he was going to be lifted up. He said he was the son of man and that the son of man would be lifted up. But there's another reason why I believe that Jesus Christ used this illustration was because, again, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was someone that was looking for another list. But notice the way that these people were saved. All they did was look and believe. All they did was look. And that's exactly what Christ is trying to t teach Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you have been living a life full of rules. But what you really need is 
faith. You need that new birth. So just like now, just like Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And so um, Christ reveals to Nicodemus something that is true about himself, that he would die for the sins of mankind. And even though Nicodemus didn't understand that, that at the time, Nicodemus one day would understand what Christ meant. In verse 14, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And in verse 15 there, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And so uh, notice in the illustration, someone got bit, they would live. But Jesus kind of ups the ante a little bit here. It's not just whoever looks and believes will live. But whoever looks and believes will have eternal life. They will live forever and ever and ever uh, with the Lord. And so uh, Jesus points out uh, the gospel. And so Jesus planted some, um, some ideas in the mind of Nicodemus. He said, you must be born again. Nicodemus began to question that. How could someone be born again? How could they enter into their mother's womb? He says, no. Nicodemus, we're not talking about a place. We're talking about a time. The spirit moves as it will. It's like the wind. We see the wind's actions, but we don't know where it's going or how it moves. He says, so is everyone that is saved. So the Son of Man, and then he says this the third time. He says the Son of Man will be lifted up. And so Nicodemus, we don't have uh, an account here in our passage that Nicodemus uh, does become a follower of Jesus Christ. But at least what Jesus Christ does is he plants some ideas into Nicodemus's mind that maybe will bloom later on in his life. And so he hasn't pressed Nicodemus to make a decision. He hasn't said, Nicodemus, make a decision now. What will you do? We don't see any of that in John chapter 3. Instead, what he does is he gives some things for Nicodemus to meditate on, some things to remember. And as we think about Nicodemus, we also need to remember something. If Nicodemus did decide here in John chapter 3 to leave the Pharisee group and, and to leave the Sanhedrin, then his whole life would change. And that brings us to this last idea Disciples, remember the cost, all right? Remember the cost. As we think about this idea of being secret followers of Jesus, secret disciples, sometimes the reason why we want it to be a secret, the reason why we don't want to share that we're a Christian with other people is because we're worried about the cost. What will people think if I tell them I'm a Christian? And hopefully, people already see Christ in our life based upon our actions and our speech and our kindness and our love. Hopefully, people see in character in our life that points to the fact that we're different from the rest of the world. And that might lead them to ask the question, why? Why are you different than others? And that leads us to that second point, that we should be prepared to share that good news. But remember, being disciples, there is a cost. And Jesus says this, this is in verse 19. And so a little bit further on there in, in John chapter 3, John chapter 3, verse 19. And this is the judgment. 
The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works are evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. And so Jesus says he's talking about Nicodemus. And remember, Nicodemus comes at the cover of night. And now Jesus begins to talk to him about the fact that he is the light of the world. And the reason why people have rejected him and, and the Pharisees at this time is because their works are evil. And so Nicodemus draws him to this point that really followers of Jesus Christ, there will be a cost because the world does not like Christ. And, and, and it is true, all right? The world does not like God. They, the Jews rejected Jesus. Today, the world system, which is controlled by uh, Satan, also that does not like Christianity, does not like to think about the fact that we will all one day stand before God. Uh, they want to dismiss that, uh, but they cannot dismiss it, for we will all one day stand before God. And so this is what, uh, this is some of those closing words that, that um, Jesus leaves with Nicodemus. He says this, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And so you might be a Christian, just like Nicodemus, that's maybe you're kind of like a secret Christian. You're kind of like an undercover Christian. And so other people don't know you're a Christian. But I encourage you, all right, I encourage you not to be a secret Christian, all right? Allow other people to know that you're a Christian. Now, does that mean that your life is going to be easier? No, all right? It's easier to be a secret Christian. I, I remember one guy saying, it's easier to be like a jellyfish and just flow with the current, just bob up and down, than to be like one of those fish that have to fight the current. And really, as Christians and followers of Jesus Christ, if we truly say, I want to honor God with my life. I truly do want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple of Jesus Christ. We have to know that the world did not accept the Lord. He did not, they, did, they did not accept Christ. And if we are followers of Jesus Christ, they too will not accept us. The Bible does say this, and Christ said this. He said, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And so I plead with you, don't be a secret Christian, but instead be a Christian that allows Christ to shine out of your life. That could be through your character. That could be through your love. That could be through your testimony. That could be through your witness. All right, allow other people to see God in your life. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. Jesus listened and then shared the gospel. He reminded Nicodemus that true change comes through the Spirit and not through a list of do's and don'ts. Nicodemus does eventually take a small stand for Christ. We find out later on in John's gospel. All right, the, the, uh, the ruling jewels are, are Jews are together. The Pharisees are together, and, and they're wondering what they can do about Jesus. People are beginning to follow him, and so they begin to plot. And Nicodemus actually does stand up for the Lord. 
And so this is from John chapter 7, verse 50, and it says this, Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, that is the account that we just read, and who was one of them, said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? And so here is Nicodemus really being a mediator between people who hate him and maybe a group within this group that do truly want to be followers of Jesus Christ. And notice their reply in verse 52. And they replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. What were they doing? They were mocking Nicodemus. They were putting Nicodemus down. They were shutting up Nicodemus. Nicodemus got between them and Christ and said, wait, 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 doesn't our law say that we should be doing this? And their words were to put down Nicodemus. Again, if we're going to follow after the Lord, if we're going to take a stand for the Lord, if we're going to be followers of Jesus Christ, that doesn't make life easier, but it is the better life. And now look at this account at the end of John's gospel. This is uh, this now is Jesus Christ has, has died and uh, is being buried. And here in verse 38, after these things, Joseph of Aramaeth, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for the fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also who earlier had come by Jesus by night, again, that's the account we just read, came bringing a mixture of mirth and aloes, about 75 pounds in worth. And so Nicodemus gave a large gift to Jesus. And in verse 40, and so they took the body of Jesus and brought, brought it in, linen clothed with the spices, and it was uh, uh, as is the burial custom of the Jews. And so Nicodemus started off as kind of like a, a hidden follower, a secret follower of Jesus. And that conversation that he had in John chapter 3 stuck, stuck with him his, his entire life. And then as the, the, the Pharisees and maybe even the Sanhedrin there, they were really trying to persecute Christ. He stands up for Christ. He takes a stand and he immediately gets knocked over. All right. He, he, he shuts up and, and he's done. But then later on, we see Joseph. He steps out, and he claims Jesus' body so that Jesus could be buried properly. And then we see Nicodemus comes alongside. And I wonder to myself, because both of these men were in the same circles, I wonder if the we in John chapter 3 included Joseph. And that maybe what Jesus talked about in chapter 3 with Nicodemus made its way to Joseph. And Joseph began to understand truly what Christ meant when he said he must be lifted up. That's the only way that we can have eternal life. Now, as we close today, I just want to close here with uh, verse 21. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so it may be clearly seen that his work has been carried out in God. This last week, we had an opportunity to take the middle school to uh, a ropes course. So we took a, um, 
a field trip on Friday, went to a, a, a place in, on a Sacramento campus, um, and uh, there was a whole ropes course there. And watching all the kids uh, climb up and down the rock wall and uh, the, the, I don't know, the, what, did it, what was it called, Madison, that ladder thing? Oh, the cargo nets, watching the kids do that. But there was one thing that really scared the kids, and that was the catwalk. All right, so what was the catwalk? Well, you climbed all the way up, and then there was this beam that went across. It was about 25 to 30 30 um, uh, feet up in the air. And so the first guy, the first boy, he's very courageous, and he climbs all the way up to the top, and he gets up there, and he goes, I can't do this. And he climbs back down. And, of course, the next boy is like, no, I can do that. And he climbs all the way to the top, and he's like, guys, I can't do this. Look at my legs. They are shaking so bad. I cannot walk across this. So he climbs back down. And then a girl climbs up, and she looks around, and she goes, I don't think I could do this. And everyone's rooting around, you can do this. And she goes all the way across, and she rings the bell, and she comes down. And you know what those other two boys did after that? They went up, and they went across. And you know, sometimes as disciples of Jesus Christ, sometimes we're just looking for that first person to step out on faith. And that, that girl was that first person that, that showed everybody else this can be done. And sometimes in our Christian life, we just need someone to come alongside us and to encourage us and say, you know what? This can be done. And so allow those good works to be seen so that people will in turn give glory to God. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we do thank you. Thank you for uh, this passage. Thank you for the gospel. And we think about uh, Nicodemus, and uh, we don't see any uh, response here in, in uh, John chapter 3, but we do see some initiative later on in, 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 the, in the gospel of John. And so maybe even um, Joseph and, and Nicodemus, maybe these were uh, two friends, two secret followers of Jesus Christ who made their name a little bit more known uh, when they took the body of Jesus. And so, Lord, help us not to be secret uh, followers of Jesus. Help us to be able to step out on faith that others would see Christ in our life. And we think about what that would do not only in our life and for you, but also for those around us. As we think about this idea of making disciples and becoming disciples, Lord, help us to be followers of you that other people could follow behind us and be encouraged or that they could come alongside us and be encouraged. And so, Lord, help us to be prepared uh, to share the gospel. Help us to rely on your spirit uh, to guide us. And so, Lord, thank you for the truths of your word today. Um, Use it as you see fit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.